your blood runs orange and blue. Orange and blue. blue. This, this is the pod, is the for, you. pod for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. Could the bag be coming soon for Josh Hart? That is certainly how it sounds as of today. What's up? This is EJ Stewart with Tommy Beer. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, Odyssey, WFAN original. We got plenty to get to on this episode. We'll be talking about the reported timeline and even numbers on a Josh Hart extension. We got uh, info on both of those fronts. We'll talk about what the money sounds like. We'll talk about what the timeline sounds like. It sounds like it could be imminent at this point. So we'll talk, discuss Josh Hart, his extension, and what we could uh, expect from him next next season. Also, um, some big news that we actually didn't talk about much about last week because I don't really do so much commentary on the media per se. But um, the NBA Finals broadcast team is going to look very different next season. I think for Knicks fans, it is uh, of note because you had two prominent, well, three prominent Knicks really on that staff. You include Jeff, Ang- uh, you include Mike Green. Uh, Mark Jackson announced yesterday that he was let go by ESPN last month. Jeff Van Gundy was let go by ESPN. So we'll uh, discuss that. We'll discuss our, our feelings on the, the change of direction in regards to ESPN's top broadcast team, which does cover the NBA Finals. And we'll do another episode of Keeping Up with the Knickerbockers because it was a big weekend. We had some weddings last week. We had a new baby born. So we'll catch you guys up on all that. So again, you're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods, Tommy Beer, myself coming at you right after this. So like I said, Tommy Beer joining me as always. Tommy, good to see you. How you feeling? We're looking forward to discussing today. Yeah, feel good. Can't believe it's August already. Uh, it's the Sunday of the summer. We're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, August 1st. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, got the, the dull days of this. Going to be in September ramping up training camp and getting ready for preseason and all that good stuff before you know it. Um, got some uh, – got the world basketball uh, – World Cup of basketball later the later this month. So uh, plenty to discuss, and let's start it off talking a little bit about Josh Hart. Let's do it. So, again, Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, is a podcast you can get wherever you get your podcast, including free Aussie app. Make sure you get the auto-download feature on your streaming service. Get these episodes every time we drop. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube as well, where you can catch the uh, full a seg- full show and the segments of the show on the WFAN channel on YouTube. So make sure you check us out there as well. But we begin with Josh Hart, who did the Knicks a solid by accepting that $12.9 million player option this year to stay in New York for the upcoming season. Now it appears he's set to be rewarded a big way by the Knicks. So you had Knicks beat writer for the Daily News. Uh, Stephen Bondi saying the Knicks are expected to extend Hart on a deal in the neighborhood of four years, $75 million. So those are the numbers coming out right now in terms of what a Josh Hart extension could look like. Meanwhile, on the Hoop Collective podcast, ESPN's Brian Windhorst said that he would be, quote, very surprised if a deal isn't completed by this week between the Knicks and Josh Hart. He noted that you have Team USA training and, of course, the FIBA World Cup that's going to be taking place. Josh Hart is a member of Team USA. So a lot of the players on that team have their contracts situated and straightened out. A lot of those guys are on long-term deals at this point. So that Hart would be added to that list going into this summer or this August, rather, as we enter the new month. So, one, Tommy, how do you feel about this 
number we're seeing, the four-year, 75 million. Are you comfortable with that? Yes. Uh, so just uh, for uh, uh, the full details, kind of a, a full roundup here, uh, uh, you know, uh, we know that Hart exercised his $12.9 million uh, player option last month, yep. four and 23-24 season, so he's locked in there. Uh, per the new CBA, New York can offer him a contract up to four years in length, uh, starting at 140% of his the final season of, of his the salary in his final season of his current contract. Um, so the math um, works out to essentially about $81.2 million would be the maximum amount the Knicks could offer uh, over four years in an extension to Josh Hart. Um, I think a lot of people expected, um, if not that full max, right around that 81, 80 million, high 70s number. So if they can come in somewhere around 75 million, um, whether that's a, a de-escalating contract structure, which we know um, they've used before with Brunson, with Mitchell Robinson, um, or a flat, you know, uh, you know, a little bit less than the than the full terms uh, that he could have signed for, um, I think that would definitely be considered a win for the Knicks. Um, a reminder: um, Yes, Josh Hart didn't play his best basketball um, the last time we saw him in that series against the Heat, but immediately upon his arrival in New York, you could tell he was a New York Nick type of guy, a guy that would be embraced by the city and the fan base for the way he played um, efficient, uh, unselfish, uh, competitive, all the things that you really like um, obviously fitting well with Brunson. They have a, they, they, you know, that, that relationship um, obviously started uh, and developed during their days at Villanova um, seemed to be a kind of player um, that would get along well with Tibbs. There's just so much to like there. Um, yeah. A guy that's entering his prime, 27, 28, 29 years old, you'll have him under contract. Um, and uh, you know he's going to work hard. You know he's going to prepare the right way. You know he's going to practice well. You know he's going to hold his teammates accountable. All the stuff um, on the court, uh, great rebounding wing. Um, there's a lot to like. In the locker room, there's a lot to like. So, I thought bringing Josh Hart, re-signing him um, was definitely one of the priorities, especially since he gave up a first-round pick. They uh, again, he looks like he did him a little bit of a favor um, by uh, by by opting into that last year of the contract. And if the Knicks can sign him for anything less than 80 million, I, I think that's a win-win for both sides. Um, certainly a fair value, good contract for for Hart, which uh, will obviously be his his largest payday in the NBA, and also good for the Knicks. So uh, yes, I'm I'm very comfortable at 75. Yeah, I mean, basically, you're looking at a a $19 million AAV for the four years beyond this current season. What you're looking at is essentially the deal that Evan Fournier signed with the Knicks just uh, a couple years ago. That's essentially the money that he signed for. That's the deal that Knicks have been unable to move at this point in time. But that's a guy right now that is so out of favor with the Knicks, he can't get on the floor. Imagine having a guy at Josh Hart's value, given what he brings to the team, leadership, toughness clutch play, rebounding, um, overall high character. I mean, that's the kind of contract you want to give to a player like Josh Hart, who has shown that he is a, a a force, really, when he is right and when he is playing well, and that he actually helps the Knicks in the win column. You're talking about a player where the Knicks brought him in and they finished 17-8 down the stretch. Essentially, for the last 28, 27 games or so of the regular season, the Knicks were – basically an elite level team with Josh Hart. And that carried over into the postseason where you saw the Knicks absolutely demolish the Cleveland Cavaliers, a team that a lot of people thought the Knicks were going to lose to in that first round. You had a 17 point game, Josh Hart in that series. He had 13 on my birthday, uh, April 21st. That put the Knicks up um, 2-1 in that series. 
the three ones game uh, that, that put the Knicks up three one in game four. He had 19 points and seven rebounds. He was uh, outstanding in that series. He also took the brunt of guarding his good buddy, Donovan Mitchell for a large portion of that series as well. So you're also getting a two way player in Josh Hart. So uh, 19 million over four years. That's something that I don't think that anybody really can be too upset about for what he brought to the table. I know, he does, that didn't necessarily play that great against uh, the Heat, but really, if you even look at the game log for that series, it really was two really bad games. It was game five and uh, game four and game five, where he had four points and two points, and really wasn't a factor. But um, he had two double doubles in that series at 14 11 game two, uh, 15 and 12 in game three. Um, he had 11 points and actually had the, the bucket that put the Knicks, you know, just behind. Uh, just one bucket behind them when uh, Brunson ended up turning the ball over. So he had 11 points in that game. That was a deciding game. Knicks obviously lost, but he played well in that one. I think the important thing for Hart is to continue to bring what he brings on the defensive and continue what he brings in terms of energy and effort. I think what I want to see from him next season is the consistent three ball that we saw for a large portion of last season. I mean, when he played in those games for the Knicks, he shot the ball extremely well. He wasn't shooting the ball well when he, got to New York. He was struggling in Portland. I think really the, you know, kind of the seesaw kind of swing on so as to how well this Josh Hart uh, deal will look will be if Josh Hart can turn into a reliable shooter. And if you're talking about him playing this backup power forward role, as we've seen with how Obi Toppin was used, that means you're going to be standing in the corner a lot. Well, you can't have what you saw in that Miami series late where he's hesitant to shoot or he doesn't want to shoot. Or when he does, then does shoot, he's not shooting with any confidence. He's shooting air balls. That can't happen. So um, I'm happy. I, I like what I'm hearing. I hope they can get this deal done. But I think for Josh Hart, in order to, to really live up to that contract, he's got to be a reliable three-point shooter as a stretch four. Yes, um, certainly. If we're talking about um, what he can work on, what he needs to improve, it's it's the three-point accuracy um, heading into next season. Um, has always been a little wonky to me and his, his form doesn't, you know, is not, you know, there, there are plenty of good shooters that don't have that prototypical, um, you know, straight line, elbow in knee, you know, shoulder, all that stuff that, that, that yeah. fundamentally they would teach you, um, can get away with it. Um, it seems a bit inconsistent, um, that, that probably to some of but as though, um, he shot the ball well, well, you know, really shockingly so when he arrived in New York. The 25 regular season games he played, he shot 51.9% from downtown um, yeah. New York. The deadline, you note know, he was shooting 30% for the Blazers um, the first 50 games of the season. So um, another good point that you mentioned is that, especially if he's going to play that backup power, fo- power forward role, um, you know, keep in mind, Obi Toppin attempted um, the right here on a per game basis, 3.7 pointers, uh, 3.7, three point attempts per game last season in just in less than 16 minutes. So you extrapolate out, extrapolate that out to per 36, that's 8.3 per game, um, which is one, uh, I'm sorry, 8.5, uh, three point attempts per 36 minutes, which one tells you that the Knicks weren't using Obi properly, which is something we've right. talked about time again. Um, but also that again, you know, part of Tibbs, the Knicks don't have a, a, a plethora of really three-point shooters, um, especially when they moved away from Fournier when they moved him from starting line bench. They have a rotation altogether and basically replaced him with Miles McBride. So Tibbs really re- – and Tibbs wanted to increase that three-point rate 
uh, increased the number of attempts the team took. Um, so a lot of that fell on the shoulder of Obi, um, who would get plenty of open looks on three-pointers. So, yeah, if I'm Josh Hart, um, you know, he's going to defend. You know, he's going to rebound. You know, he's going to pass. You know, he's going to push the ball in position. You know, he's going to get buckets that way, especially over the course of a regular season. Teams can kind of game plan against them like Spo when the Heat did. Um, uh, but, yeah, the thing that you'd love to see Josh Hart do um, is if he could become a 37% three-point shooter from the corner, you know, like a league average, 35, 30%, mixed line up right now, um, you know, make most of his open three balls, and he's going to get a lot of them, um, put the long runs to a range of assassin, um, playing alongside Randall, um, who can obviously, um, you know, score at will. Um, and then, uh, you know, you know, Mitchell Robinson is going to kind of collapse the defense in, into the middle of the floor. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even when he's on the second unit, uh, when Hart's playing with IQ and, and, and the rest of the gang, um, he's going to get plenty of opportunities uh, to score. Mitch, obviously, we know Isaiah Hardenstein's a good distributor uh, from that high post. So if Hart knocked down those corner balls, um, off kickouts, uh, those catch and shoot open three pointers consistently. That's really going to unlock his game, take his game and the Knicks to that, that next level. Yeah. I mean, we could say what we want about Obi Toppin and his usage, and we agree that he was not used properly. But I mean, that's three point vibe that the Knicks are going to have to replace somewhere. I mean, we, you know, yep. Obi shot the ball at a pretty much a league average at that volume. If you don't have those shots being made, you either got to make up for it with another guy taking those shots or maybe distributing more threes across the board or a player who's going to be dominant from two-point range to make up for those points that you're missing with Obi Toppin from three. I don't know if I want Josh Hart. Well, I don't, I don't know if I, I, I'll say this. I don't think I want Josh Hart shooting, you know, almost four three-pointers a game in 15 minutes and averaging eight three-pointers per 36. Like that, that I think is not um, no. the usage that you'd want. But I expect, you know, the two threes he averaged for the Knicks last year, I expect that to go up a little bit. I expect it to probably go up to probably four, over the 25 to 30 minutes that he plays and he's got to shoot the ball. Well, he said, I think I, I would live with 37, 38%, um, 50% seems it's still crazy. He shot that well, considering how poorly he was shooting in Portland. Maybe some of it was just, uh, you know, happiness of being out of Portland, happy to be in New York a place where he thought that he could sign long-term and maybe he wasn't pressing as much. He did not look at 50% three point shooter in the playoffs for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it is worth noting that there were that was only two attempts per game. You know, let me see the total. Right. Um, you know, I, I have it here. Uh, look up Obi rather. Um, so it's a regular season total. Yeah, so it was twenty-seven to fifty-two. So it was fifty percent on on only fifty-two attempts, um, which is you know something to keep in mind. And, and another thing on the uh, on the contract number that um, I meant to mention earlier, um, and you yeah. mentioned nineteen million dollars a year is similar to Fournier, et cetera. Um, but the one thing we do want to mention, and what EJ and I will continue to mention it going forward, is not to get stuck on the, the specific average annual value. In, in other words, the salary per season, but percentage of salary cap. Um, right. that, that's kind of the more important number. Um, you know, even the, the folks, you know, Jalen Brown talking about, yes, it's an insane number. But when you look at it as a percentage of salary cap, again, the salary cap is going to be about 15 million higher than this year than it was last year. It's going to go up another 15 million or so they project the year after that. Um, so what, whereas, um, you know, a player making 20 million was around, you know, 20% of the cap or 18% of the cap, a player making 20 million going forward, that'll be around 15, you know, 14% of the cap, um, yeah. as it gets closer to 150 million up all the way up to 175 million by the time that the salary, which is one of the reasons why, um, Randall and Brunson's contracts are so incredibly valuable. Um, not only are they out the top 
be in total contract, but in terms of, you know, uh, total salary, percentage of salary cap. Um, you know, again, another one of those kind of sweet spot contract numbers where they're not going to cripple you long-term going forward, even if the guy doesn't pan out well. And just as importantly, yeah. there are those pieces that can be um, – cobbled together in a trade for the superstar, the Embiid's, the, the Giannis is the, you know, et cetera, whatever guy that the Knicks want to throw all their chips in the middle of the table of, um, you know, obviously you want to keep a guy like Hart around if you're competing short, except, but it just has those valuable, relatively team friendly, um, and mid range, moderate, not, not, not max number, not, you know, a, a mid-level exception kind of somewhere in between those numbers are helpful in trades. Absolutely. And I also think, when we look at $19 million and we'll see what the value is, is it increases and decreasing. We'll, we'll find that out, I guess, right. over the next week, apparently, because that's what Winhorst saying that this could be done by the end of the week. Um, by the time you get towards the last few years of that contract, he, his number could look something close to what like the mid-level exception is at that point in time yep. with the yep. salary cap yep. continuing to rise. So imagine in year, you know, four of this deal, you're three of this deal. Cause remember you got this one full year this year at 13 million. Then before this next contract right. even kicks in, we could be talking about Josh Hart, a guy who's still a valuable member of the Knicks, essentially playing on a mid-level kind of deal for what the NBA salary situation will be at that point in time. Right now, the mid-level right now is around, you know, 13, 14 million because of where the salary cap is and where team salaries are. But that's going to increase as we've seen already with Jalen Brunson's massive, Jalen Brown's massive deal. Those numbers are going to increase by the time we get to the second part of this deal. You're looking at a number that is a lot more, affordable a lot less kind of scary than it is today and i don't even think it's that scary today because josh hart showed that um that that he definitely can can be a key contributor and the other thing as well with hart is i i'm excited about the concept that he can actually finally grow with an organization i mean this is a guy who was in la two years and traded then in new Orleans for two years and a half and traded then in portland for a year and a half and trade i mean the fact that he's been able to even carve out a consistent nba career coming in as a second round pick with this much volatility around him is a testament to his character, which we now all know is a one, but like now you have a guy who is going to be in, we think assuming there's no massive trade where you can trade again, but if you're growing with Josh Hart for the next five years, one situation, one organization, I'm kind of hoping it's not one coach, but maybe it is one coach during this whole time. And who knows the kind of player he becomes over this uh, next four or five years. So uh, I'm not saying that you got an all-star, future all-star under your hands, but he, he really could truly grow into a, a, a true kind of glue guy, glue guy for the entire organization for the Knicks, because this was a player that even though we kind of touted him as a, a great guy to have in the postseason, had never played in the postseason before no. this year. This is not a guy who had all this experience on winning teams and a winning culture. He's just like that because that's who Josh Hart is. And maybe a, a great testament to what Jay Wright established over at Villanova. So this is the kind of guy that maybe you could truly build a culture around. He could be really a foundational piece to building uh, that culture. Something that we talked about, you know, since he arrived um, and probably the highest compliment we can play, we can pay a player uh, on the current Knicks is Hart would fit in really well alongside those 90s Knicks, the Ewing, the Mason, the yep. Oakley, uh, the X-Man, um, the Starks, like those type of guys. He's that type of mentality, that type of dog, that type of competitiveness, all that other stuff. Um, and those are the type of players you feel comfortable investing in um, because you feel 
Um, you know, uh, they're not going to buy into the nightlife. And he's just all, all that other stuff that can kind of trip you up um, as an athlete in New York. Um, Park team's really level-headed um, and just yeah. uh, a, a player that obviously prioritized trading for him and 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 in the, and we'll see when the, once the contract gets done um and they put pen to paper keeping him as a you know I, it's pretty clear obviously they view him and and, and brunson and we'll see how you know and, and we'll see how it all turns out and then we'll you know, kind of quickly rhymes the other guys fit in um but kind of those kind of linchpins their foundational pieces and those are good guys to to start again you know success in college national championship um, and we've already seen their first few months in New York, leading New York's arguably its most successful season um, this millennium. So uh, uh, let's hope uh, that uh, the Hart and the Knicks get everything squared away uh, sooner rather than later. It sounds like it's only a matter of time. Um, and, uh, you know, it sounds like Hart will be in a Knicks uniform for the foreseeable future. Yep. And when Hart signs that deal, of course, we'll have plenty of reaction uh, on the podcast for, for when that deal gets done. So um, yep. shifting gears here uh, when it comes to uh, next year's presentation of the NBA Finals, which we all hope the Knicks will be a part of. I don't know how likely that is, but hey, you got a dream, right? So um, that presentation is going, going to look very different. In fact, it's not going to be as maybe familiar or homey to Knicks fans because uh, former Knicks point guard Mark Jackson announced on, on, on Monday that he was informed by ESPN that he was being let go by the network. It uh, really completes the disillusion of ESPN's A broadcast team for the NBA. That includes Knicks play-by-play man uh, Mike Breen, former Knicks coach Jeff Van Gundy, who was laid off last month, and, of course, Mark Jackson. This team has been together essentially since 2006. There was a brief three-year hiatus where it was just Jeff and um, and, and Mark, and, uh, excuse me, and, um, and Mike Breen because Mark Jackson was coaching the Warriors, but – from pretty much 2006 to last season, this was your NBA Finals team. This was your number one team calling NBA games. And that will no longer be the case. You will now still have Reen, but it will be Doris Burke and uh, a former Knicks guard, another one, in Doc Rivers, who was, of course, coaching the Philadelphia 76ers last season. They will be joining Breen in the booth this season. So, uh, Tommy, I know we're both huge NBA fans and, you know, we watch all these games beyond just Knicks games, but just games on ESPN as well. Uh, are you disappointed in the departure of Van Gundy and Jackson from the, uh, NBA finals broadcasting? Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought they were really a team together, especially in a, uh, in so many broadcasts that are bereft of intelligent kind of logical analysis. Yes. Van Gundy goofed around a little bit here and there and, and right. Jackson was a, a little bit corny, you know. You're not my, not necessarily my cup of tea. Wasn't my favorite broadcaster. Um, so, uh, smart, obviously knows the game very well. You know, St. John, you know, player coach, um, tons of experience in and around the league. Uh, I thought he brought a lot of solid insight um, to the game. Um, and obviously, Breen is the goat. Um, so I just the thing I didn't understand from the ESPN standpoint was the the need for a change. I didn't, you know, it, it, it seemed like both players, uh, sorry, sorry, both analysts were a little bit upset by the news. Uh, you know, Mark Jackson mm-hmm. put out a statement saying he's surprised. So it's like they were willing to continue going forward. Um, so I don't really see the, the desire for ESPN to kind of rock the rock the crate a little bit. Um, but you know, maybe they want to shake things up, and you know, we'll see how it plays out. Dorsberg, um have a lot of respect for her. Um, I think she's really good at what she does. She's also a Nick fan, by the way. Um, you know, she she's too shy. Yes. So, 
often. Um, so I'm happy to see her get an opportunity. I think, um, you know, uh, she will excel in the role. Um, not a huge Doc Rivers fan. Um, you know, I remember him calling some games, uh, you know, with TNT. But, again, he's obviously a guy that's been around the league forever. Um, you know, let's see if he's, uh, you know, what he'll bring to the table. Um, see if, kind of, if his, his style has changed a little bit um, in the years away. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But I, I thought it was an interesting move. Um, again, I, I, I probably shouldn't read too much into it because nobody's going to turn off or turn on an NBA Finals game because of who's controlling right. it. Um, but uh, I probably would have preferred they kept the kind of three-man booth intact. Um, but I'm willing to, uh, you know, give the, the new group a chance. Yeah, I mean, I started as someone who really didn't enjoy Van Gundy and Jackson together. I thought in their early days they goofed around too much, and I thought sometimes right. they took away – the game that was actually happening i think they both grew into excellent analysts in games i felt that in terms of van gundy i thought his ability to uh highlight things that were happening in live action regarding strategy changes and switches and matchups and things like that um and the kind of back and forth between guys who were both former head coaches about what you would do here and how you would do this i thought brought a lot to the broadcast um it did even though it was never these guys never did Knicks games. It did almost feel like, okay, if the Knicks aren't on MSG, but I have a national TV game and it's Breen and Van Gundy with, uh, with Mark Jackson, I almost didn't feel so like I'm going to get people who don't know anything about this team. I always felt comfortable in that regard whenever we did get those guys calling a Knicks game. So uh, I'm disappointed. I, like you said, like, there's a lot of things people can complain about about ESPN's presentation of how they cover yeah. the NBA. I don't know if anybody really had an issue with Jackson and Van Gundy, or at least a, a big enough one where a shakeup is it was necessary. Now, I enjoyed Doris Burke's call a great deal. I have a Doris Burke, my favorite broadcaster t-shirt, just to, to, to speak to how much I, I enjoy Doris Burke. So, like, I think that she could do a great job. I agree, Doc Rivers. I'm, I'm not that excited about that. He... I don't think it was that great when he was calling NBA Finals games prior to this formation of the new team uh, or not the old team with Van Gundy and, and Jackson. But I do think there is one benefit to having Doc is that, you know, it had been a long time now since definitely a long time since Van Gundy, but an even longer time since Mark Jackson had coached in the NBA. And if Doc Rivers can kind of bring some of that coaching experience, some of those coaching stories to his um broadcast and to his analyst and analysis i think there is some benefit there i don't think he did a great job at the last time he was calling games but like that's something that maybe espn could have told him hey listen like you, you, your great advantage is that you were coaching in the playoffs literally last, literally last season you coach against some of the best players in this league you've game plan against them um so you need to bring that expertise to uh to the broadcast and i think that that does have value now can they have chemistry i don't know apparently according to Marshan, uh, you know, Doc Rivers is actually really good friends with um, with, with Mike Breen, I guess because of the time in the past when they've worked together at ABC. So maybe there's a benefit there. But, uh, but, but yeah, I, I, I just, it just felt like, again, of the, the things that we can complain about, about how ESPN covers the NBA, I don't know why they thought this was something that had to be changed. Yeah, I, I mean, you and I are both on the same page in terms of, 
I just hope that it's not a sign that they're, I think, unfortunately, we're in the minority of people that want to learn about what we're watching and not just exactly. strictly be entertained or hot takes or, you know, and there's plenty of that out there on ESPN. And yes, you know, again, there's the memes about Van Gundy, the talk of alien, you know, <laughs> yada, yada, yada. But I think that was more during blocks. Like when they were good games, like, again, you point out. You know, Van Gundy would highlight defensive adjustments, schematics. You know, um, you know, Jackson would chime in on you know how to slow down a guy that's really not excel. Um, when they locked in and they locked in at important times, you know, 2016 finals with LeBron James and the, yeah. you know all the other great finals, some of the series that they've had. Um, you know, they they were great when they were at their best, and the, and the and the games provide them to kind of be at their best. Um, hopefully, you know, uh, both would prefer more seriousness, um, more analytical approach. Um, you know, not 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 so much the, uh, the 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 joking around and the goof. There's always a time and a place for it. Um, yeah. But there's just so many informed, intelligent analysts out there. Um, you know, maybe JJ Reddick gets more time. Maybe Tim Legler gets some some opportunities. Um, those are the type of guys that I would like to see, um, as opposed to kind of the hot take artists that, that populate the the worlds of ESPN, NT, etc. Yeah, and the other thing I thought that I hope doesn't get lost with the new team is I thought that Van Gundy, especially, but also Mark Jackson to a certain degree too, also did a great job of like borderline hammering, like star players when they're not doing the right thing, whether it's getting bad technical fouls, whether it's not playing with enough effort, um, whether it's taking poor shots, like Van Gundy was never shy to be like, that is not right. championship level effort or Mark Jackson, his yes. famous line, you gotta be better. How, how many times we heard him say that over the course of the last 14 years and that is just not commentary i think i don't think we get that from any other national team i mean i'm trying to think of other analysts that we kind of see that consistently i i feel like there's sometimes very much a lot of patty cake with the stars when these national games are on that you don't get with van gundy and jackson of course they also do a great job of hammering the rest when they need to be hammered too i don't know how many times van gundy would just say that's just an awful call how do you do that some people didn't like that i enjoyed it because i'm someone that's if you've listened to this podcast for anything more than, especially during the regular season, anything more than a couple of episodes, you'll know I get on rest all the time. Uh, I've enjoyed having an analyst live say, hey, this is not the right call or this is a poor call here or I wouldn't have called that. Like, I hope, because that hasn't really been Doris's style, even though I enjoy Doris's work. I don't know what Doc Rivers is an analyst at this point in his career. I hope that doesn't get lost. Like, I don't for guys kind of get off the hook. Like, I loved when Jeff and Gunny did Knicks games. I knew if Julius Randle was lollygagging, the whole world was going to be told. And every time it was. Um, and that's what I think a lot of people were refreshed by when you got to hear um, Van Gunny on the call. Because it's not even something you really hear on MSG. Because, you know, any network owned by Dolan is not going to crush their own players. Like, I hope we don't lose that completely with the new team. That's the one thing, you know, a lot of these guys, when they – Usually it's studio work, you know. Um, Tibbs, for instance, did like a, a, a few months of ESPN yeah. studio work and, and plenty of other codes. Um, but they, they one of a way station, you know, they'll take a year off, do this, and then get the next job, whatever. Um, they're often very hesitant to criticize players, coaches, organizations, other, you know, those, those type of things because they don't want to burn yeah. when the next job might be and you don't want to you know somebody to a viral clip of you you know calling somebody out and then you know yada 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 so we'll see yep. if 
Doc Rivers is committed to being a broadcaster as opposed to doing this for a year or two. Uh, I think a lot more honest, a lot more forthcoming, a lot more critical at the right times. Um, and uh, for all the praise we give to Van Gundy, he was way too soft on coaches. Um, you know, that never knocked them. Very, very, very rarely knocked them for, for, for poor adjustments, et cetera. Mark Jackson must be the same. Um, so we'll see if Doc Rivers a little bit more. Um, you know, it plays it a little bit tougher. So, uh, you know, that that's one thing we'll keep an eye on. Yeah, when we think, when I thought about, uh, you know, in the NFL, Sean Payton's comments, the head coach of the Denver Broncos against the Jet current offensive coordinator and former head coach. Uh, it seemed, I, the first thing I thought about was like, man, like the way Jeff and Gundy talks about the coaching fraternity, clearly Sean Payton has none of that in his ideas in terms of how he was talking about um, the Jets' current OC. But then the last thing on this uh, I was thinking was, and I said this when Van Gundy was let go. And I don't know, I don't know how much Dolan's got endless money, but I couldn't help but wonder if there is an opportunity here for perhaps one or both of these men to end up being kind of the fill-in for Clyde Frazier or maybe even the heir apparent to Clyde Frazier on the Knicks broadcast. Like I think that many Knicks fans would love to have, you know, 60 to 65 games of Jeff Van Gundy calling mixed games or the same with Mark Jackson. Like I know that with Van Gundy, particularly, maybe there's a little bit of a smoothing out that would have to happen with their relationship. But I would think maybe, you know, depending on how the contracts are, I would love to see Van Gundy and Jackson get some chances to call some mixed games, the guy games that Clyde isn't doing. Clyde has talked a bunch about how um, he's still going to do this, but not for very long. And that, you know, you're going to see less and less of him on the road. Would you be open to seeing Van Gundy or Jackson calling the next game that they might bring on MSG? Oh, I'd love to see Van Gundy kind of, you know, uh, alternate or, or tag team with, you know, maybe Van Gundy gets the road games, uh, Clyde gets the home games, maybe some three-man right. boost when they're from the city, you know, that type of thing. Um, right, Clyde's eventually going to start transitioning, taking, you know, fewer. They don't really have a second guy as replacement. You know, Han does it sometimes. Wally does it sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, uh, so so we'll see how that that kind of how that plays out. But yes, uh, I don't think it's likely because of the animosity and the and the you know that Dolan is one to all day grudge, and he has held yeah. a grudge. Uh, you know, since the, you know every time they got these in New York. Uh, calling a game, he should get you know uh, this is you know a warm reception and he should go up on the jumbotron and last coach to coach uh, an, a, a Knicks team to the final. Yeah, um, you know the, his success in New York. Uh, you know he's won more playoff games um, in his last three or four years in, in with the Knicks than the Knicks have won in the twenty three years since he left. Um, you know a lot of it stems from you know the way Van Gundy left nineteen games into a season. Yada yada yada. Um, but it yep. seems like that kind of icy relationship is thawed a little bit. Um, we'll see. It if it's to the point. Um, you're right. It's not a, it wouldn't be a money situation um, because I assume Dolan would have no problem paying, uh, paying Ben Gundy, but I just don't know if he wants to, um, you know, if, they, if that relationship has mended enough um, where they, where they're at a point where they work together. Um, and the other thing is Dolan may not want Ben Gundy, Ben Gundy's honesty. Um, part of MSG right. broadcast that could be a very real issue. Um, you know, Van Gundy may not, you know, have to have to, you know, if they're having a conversation, hey, tone down a little bit, and then say, I, I don't feel comfortable doing that. You know, so there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's a, there's 
it's probably unlikely, I'd say. There's also been some rumors that Van Gundy wants to get back into coaching, um, you know, right. whether that's on the assistant level for, for a year or two, or, you know, maybe um, I could see Van Gundy coaching high school for, for you know, a little while. Um, he's, you know, had a personality. So um, while I'd love to see a reunion in MSG, um, I don't think it's likely. And on that front, I will say there was a, a very long time where I, like, you know, Knicks have had so many different coaching changes that people called for Van Gundy or Jackson to be the Knicks head coach. I was very against that. I do feel like whatever penance these guys have to pay for the time they've been out of coaching, I think they probably deserve another opportunity somewhere. Um, Van Gundy coached Team USA. Um, Mark Jackson, you know, he's had some off-the-court issues that I think led to him kind of being untouchable by a lot of people. If he's willing to straighten that out, I think he would deserve an opportunity as well. So if coaching is in these guys' futures, considering the guys that the the the, the 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 you know wash, rinse, and repeat that we have with these coaches, I would think that at some point these guys should get an opportunity somewhere. I don't know if I wanted to be the Knicks, but if broadcast is not the future, somebody should give them an opportunity. Uh, but uh, let's uh, let's uh, shift gears here and. Um, we're bringing back a, a, a segment we did earlier this summer and we're bringing it back here because it is another edition of keeping up with the Knickerbockers. So it is summertime in the NBA, which means it is wedding season for a lot of players. And this weekend we saw two Knicks players tie the knot. So first you had Jalen Brunson and college, uh, his college sweetheart, Ali Marks. They got married during a ceremony in Chicago. There was a big, NBA and Knicks showing at these festivities. So Julius Randle was there. RJ Barrett was there. Josh Hart was there. Dante DiVincenzo was there. Head coach Tom Thibodeau was there. Leon Rose was there. Uh, assistant coach and father, of course, Rick Brunson was there as well. So uh, plenty of Knicks at this shindig where there also were plenty of other NBA players. Obi Toppin, former Nick at this ceremony. Um, Mikhail Bridges, former Villanova uh, a teammate and current Brooklyn Nets. At the ceremony, he was doing a lot of Instagram lives. So a lot of the videos we've seen have come from Josh Hart's IG lives and Mikhail Bridges' IG lives from that. So they had a big wedding ceremony in Chicago. Meanwhile, on the West Coast, you had uh, Isaiah Hartenstein getting married to uh, his girlfriend, Courtney Keller, in California. Uh, the groom's cake at this wedding had the Hartenstein number 55 on it and had the Knicks logo, which I thought was pretty cool. It also had some other random logos in there i didn't understand what those were but the nick logo was on there so i'm excited about that um now it's unclear how many uh nicks if any made it to the higher time shindig it seemed like these may have happened on the same day which i'm very interested to ask tommy about uh but uh, you know we'll see you know i guess we'll have a conversation about what the deal was with that but harden time nonetheless did get married so congrats to both uh iheart and Jalen brunson along with their new wives and a big congratulations to Mitchell Robinson and his partner, uh, Lindsay Luquette. They welcomed their baby girl a uh, week prior to this wedding. Um, so they welcomed Riley to the world. So a uh, big congrats to uh, Big Mitch and Lindsay. So beginning on the Hardenstein-Brunson thing, because how do they end up having the same wedding on the same day? I know I've not planned a wedding as of right now yet in my life. So I know these things do sometimes are a year, two years in advance. But considering they're NBA players, didn't that seem kind of crazy to you that two teammates could have uh, weddings on the same day? Like that, I've, I don't know if I've ever seen that before because, you know, the NBA's now become 
the summer has now become the summer of weddings. So we see this all the time. I don't know if I've seen two teammates have weddings on essentially the same day. Definitely odds are against it. And they, which the funny thing is, I'm sure that they planned it when Brunson was a Maverick. And that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. And the other thing that, that Brunson actually, his wedding was planned for later the month. Uh, the very end of August, but he had to push it up a month because of the oh, Team wow. USA commitments. Um, right. Once he got chosen for Team USA, they had to rearrange it. Um, so, but wait, uh, by the way, that tells you like that rich folks deal on a totally different set of rules. Because as someone who has been a groomsman, has heard about preparation to go into weddings, the thought process of being able to tell any venue, hey, I need to move my wedding up a month. Like usually they'll tell you get lost, clown. Oh, yeah. But you know you're Jalen Brunson. You make a hundred million dollars. You're, uh, you know, an NBA star. You know, one, one month early, you need your wedding. Ah, uh, no problem, Jalen. We got you. Don't worry about it. And the Rich Carlton of all places is willing to amend their plans so that Jalen Brunson can have his wedding, knowing that they'll have NBA superstars all over the place yes. at this uh, at this wedding. Yes, you know that whoever had their had their wedding got bumped. <laughs> Um, yes. Somebody got a call. Like, listen, sorry, yeah. but uh, you know, you mind going Sunday instead of yeah. There's uh, some Chicago couple that is furious <laughs> at what happened, and probably learned on social media what happened. They probably didn't even know. They probably told them, "Oh yeah, we know we got to close the venue. Yeah, um, some yeah. some we construction. Yeah, 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 yeah. They got to do an inspection. Yeah. We'll move you to next month." And then they yeah. look on Twitter and they see Jalen Brunson, you know, doing the Dougie, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, "What the hell?" Um, but yeah, you know, I, I actually wrote about this this week, you know, it, it seems kind of, a you know, an, a, you know, cute little story, you know, high school sweethearts and he proposed to her at center court of his, of his high school and, and all that stuff. You don't want to read too much into it. Um, but I'll admit, I was surprised to see all the pictures that started popping out, um, in the, you know, the, the that day of the night of the next day, the next few days after, um, how many, um, you know, Nick Villanova cats there were. How many Knickerbockers were in the were in yeah. attendance? Um, Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, Coach Tibbs, Leon Rose. Um, you know, when Brunson first signed here, you know, what, what a year and three weeks ago, whatever it was, yeah. um, he talked about how familial connections and family was important. But everybody says that at every right. introductory press conference. You know, I'm so happy to be here. I have such close relationships. I can't wait to form bonds with my teammates and my coaches. And then they go and hang out with their friends from home or they're, <laughs> right. you know, there's, there's, they're really or like what we've seen with Donovan Mitchell, you know, being traded to the Cavs being like, Oh, I'm happy to be here. Excited for the future. As soon as that season was over, man, he was in New York pretty much. He's still here. Probably. He's, I haven't seen him step foot in Ohio since that season ended. Totally, totally. Just as he was, you know, with, with Utah. I'm sure he loved his time, right. you know, in Salt Lake City. But as soon as he had an opportunity, he spent time in, in New York City. So, um, you know, it's it's rare, um, you know, you're around the league a long time to see that many teammates and, co- you know, and especially the, the GM and the coach. And then, you know, again, a lot of this has to do with, you know, uh, you know, uh, Tibbs rebounding for a, a 12-year-old Jalen Brunson at the Garden right. at 4 p.m., a night of a game and showing them step throughs and, you know, boxing out and, and, and fundamental stuff like that. And Tibbs going to watch him play high school games. There's obviously a close connection between his father and, and, and the coach and um, all that stuff. So a lot of it, you know, you hear his lip service, um, but there is no doubt uh, a, a really, really close bond 
between um, this organization and this player. Um, and there are a lot of reasons to be optimistic if you're a Nick fan, you know, primarily because you have a yeah. great point guard um, who's talented at basketball. But, um, uh, you know, a little bit icing on the cake. Uh, another reason to be a little bit optimistic, another reason to be a little bit confident is there's a lot of, of, of you know, you know, it's just human nature. You work better when you like the people you work with, whether that's an insurance office, whether that's at the post office. Um, if you get along with and, and you know, and, and spend time with, and obviously a wedding, there's only so many people you can invite. You choose to invite right. those those people and to spend that 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 evening with you and your wife, um, I think says a lot about, you know, uh, you know, about about the uh, the relationships there. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it feels like Leon Rose is, you know, Dom Toretto from the fan, the Fast and Furious franchise. You know, it's all about family. I mean, the Knicks, you get the feeling, are a real family-first kind of organization. Now, there may be some downsides to come to that, because maybe there's too much coddling to the Tibbses and the Randalls of the world. But I do think what comes from that is a, a true level of chemistry, um, a true all-for-one, one-for-all attitude. And seeing the Nick turnout at the Brunson wedding did, I mean, I already knew this, but it really kind of solidified, like, wow, this this is the franchise player for yes. the New York Knicks. Like, all these, not only did he invite all these Knicks, but all these Knicks knew they had yep. to be there because yep. there was another option. There was another option to do something else that weekend. Another teammate had a wedding. <laughs> they could have gone in. They could have gone to California. I'll be honest. I'd probably rather be. You know that that was a beachside wedding. I probably would have preferred to have been at the Hartenstein wedding just from the locale than in the middle of Chicago, in the middle of the city, in the Ritz Carlton. But um, they all knew that they also had to be at this wedding. Rose knew, uh, West knew, um, Tibbs knew, like everybody knew, all the players knew. So like, I, I think that that says a lot too. That you know, Jalen Brunson really is uh, the center of the Knicks orbit at this point in time. And considering again where we were. Last summer, you know, unsure of how this was going to go, it, it, it tells you how what difference a year could make with uh, with Brunson. So it was kind of wild. You know, you see all these NBA players there. You can't help but wonder, hey, is there any recruiting going on? We've heard the stories of, you know, you know Chris Paul wedding toast. you talking about playing in New York and, and various different things. I kind of wonder, hey, all that Nick Brass there, plenty of good players there. I see Mikael Bridges there. I see plenty of other guys there. I wonder if there could have been some recruiting being done on there, but it seemed like a, a good time. I do feel bad. I mean, I don't know if there were other Nick people there. I feel bad that iHeart had nobody seem like at his wedding. Of course, he has his family and his friends, and that's what's most right. important. But uh, I, I, do, I did. I would have liked to have seen somebody maybe do the doubleheader. Somebody say, you know what, I'm gonna go to this one and then I'm gonna fly out, you know, early. I'm gonna go see Jalen before the wedding and then fly out to go to iHeart. I would have liked to have seen. Something like that, but it just might not have been possible given the given the situation. Um, how were you surprised at how I was a little surprised at how interested people were as to like who made it or didn't make it to Jalen's wedding? Because there was so much conversation. Because it seemed like the Julius Randall picks were the last picks to come out, and everybody's saying, "Ooh, yeah. Julius Randall didn't wasn't at the wedding. He didn't make it to the wedding. What does that say?" And it's crazy because I feel like we had, we went through the same thing, not necessarily us meaning Knicks fans, but with uh, John, uh, James Harden uh, last week, a couple weeks ago, with Joel Embiid's wedding. It appears that he wasn't at that wedding. And everybody made this whole deal about it. As someone who has not made it to certain weddings because of other obligations, my thing is like, these guys are NBA players. You don't know if they're 
they could be vacationing vacationing in the Alps. They could be in Thailand. Like you don't know why they couldn't make it to a wedding. Like I, I just wasn't gonna go crazy if Julius Randle wasn't at this thing. But it seemed like Knicks fans were ready to jump out the window if that was indeed the case. Yeah, very good point. And to your point, there's you know there's a million reasons why you know guys have had things planned, especially because this wedding was bumped up a month at time, so they probably right. had saved the date for August, whatever, and then they had to get changed. Um, yeah. But you know, you, and and there was a lot of yets. I've, I've I've noticed there's been a lot of yets in terms of your wedding planning. And I haven't <laughs> planned a wedding. I, I picked oh up on God. that, EJ. So um, I'm sure yeah. you get. I really hope I really hope Andre is not listening to this. <laughs> You might be getting some pressure, uh, but right. but you'll see. Like when you know, uh, uh, knock on wood, everything goes well. Yada yada yada. Uh, I think it's planning a wedding is such a kind of taxing and emotional experience, and you gotta, you know, there's the you gotta invite your, your wife's family and uh, your right. future wife's family and her friends, and how do you balance that? And what's the max number of place you know people that this place can accommodate um uh we got married um at the green building and actually just shut down in brooklyn um the, the reason we picked that spot was because we it, it was pet friendly uh my dog oh, nice uh, he's a may he rest in peace tucker man that's his picture right there oh nice um, was one of the groomsmen I was in a tux and walking around the <laughs> that's awesome um, so, uh, but yeah, you know, be, but be, because, because of certain stuff, you know, like because of the, op, you know, the options we had, I think it was like 120 people we could have. So you just, right. you got to narrow it down and it's something you got to create tables. And I think it's just kind of an interesting, um, I think other people are interested in other people planning their wedding because it's something they've been through. It's kind of a, a common talking point. Absolutely. And then on the advice part with Mitchell Robinson, who is now, a new dad. Any advice to Mitch? We saw during the regular season, you know, Mitch kind of had a little bit of a freak out and he kind of uh, leaned on the fact that, hey, I'm about to be a new dad. And that's one of the reasons why I'm having a lot of stress. <laughs> Any uh, advice to Mitch and the other maybe new dads out there who could be listening? And of course, a big congratulations once again to Mitchell Robinson. Man, good question. Yes, congrats to Mitch. And I will say I understand um, him being a little stressed out. Um, it is a especially a first child and you're, um, you know, you're just kind of dealing with the, everything that comes with it. As far as advice, um, I'd, I'd give well, one kind of big picture advice is I would just invest as much time as possible with your um, I my daughter's about to turn eight in two weeks. So I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. Oh, awesome. um, and, um, you know, there are kind of the center of my world. You know, people ask me what I do. I'm a journalist. Yes. But, but my say, like, interview job for the past few years or whatever, like, I let people know up front, like, yes, uh, you know, I, I, I'll work as hard as I can. But, like, make no mistake, my priority is being a father and being a husband. Um, you right. know, and, that, and that's, you know, so, I, like, the other stuff I do for work and to pay the bills is, like, my job. But, like, I am father. That's kind of, um, you know, the, the most important thing to me. Um, and I, there was a couple a couple years ago I read the statistics. I forget exactly what they were. But essentially the percentage, so, like, let's there's, a hundred hours you're going to spend with your, you know, your, your children, um, you know, whatever hundred units of time you're going to spend with your children throughout their entire, the entirety of your life and their life together. Um, yeah. I think it's 73% that total face, face 73% before they turn 12. 
Um, and then it's like 91% before they turn 18, which conceptually makes sense. You know, I'm, I'm, I get my daughter ready for school every day, right. take my son and daughter to school every day. I pick them up from the bus stop and, you know, we hang out, we ask what's going on with the day. Um, I'll do it a little bit less in high school. Once they go off to college, you know, they'll come home for Thanksgiving and they'll come home for, you know, a couple months on an internship and then they graduate, then they move out and they'll come and visit me a couple times or so this time it just gets less and less and less um so i think while you have the opportunity and again it's not it's not as easy for everybody i'm very blessed my wife's a teacher um which allows me to uh you know i'm under her health, her health insurance plan uh, right. which allows me to take you know jobs that are flexible and you know in in regards to that um and she's a terrific mom she assists in any way she can and, and obviously dedicates as much time as possible um so i'm lucky in that respect so i i say that with respect um i understand it's not an option for everybody to uh you know work from home or you know create opportunities um to spend time with your kids but i will just say um you know as, as others have said you know the the minute you retire or get fired they're gonna have somebody in your chair in your desk right um you know, 15 yeah. minutes later um the only people that are going to remember that you worked extra two hours every day at work or went in on every saturday is your kids when they don't see you and they don't, you know, you don't show up to practice. Your boss isn't going to remember, not going to care, you know, five minutes after you retire, let alone five years. Um, mm. So I say that as just kind of big picture stuff, um, you know, just to, to, to kind of prioritize um, that aspect of life. And then one other, um, I was talking about this with my wife uh, recently, actually, a um, friend of mine just had a kid. Um, the one thing I recommended was we created an email account um so uh my daughter's name is emmy it's emmy marilyn beer at gmail.com so it's her you know she, so we create an email account for her and from the moment we found out um you know that we decided on her name and that we right. um uh you know found out it was going to be a girl yada 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 we created that email account and you know and ever since then so it's eight years now we've randomly sent emails to that uh, to that email wow. address she doesn't even know she has it. She's never opened it. I've never looked in and sent the stuff I sent five years ago. Um, you know, the day she's born, I wrote her an email like, oh, my God, you know, you're here. Her first birthday. This wow. is what you like. This is this is the kind of, you know, and just pictures, you know, and, and I'll take pictures of stuff she made in kindergarten. Um, and, and, you know, because, you know, some stuff we have lying around, some stuff gets thrown away. Um, but just, you know, she'll, you know, she'll just, uh, you know, we went to our first Nick game together. Last year was a preseason game. Um, yeah. You know, she likes to be Inescu, you know, for the Liberty. Uh, people think that, you know, uh, they're just things that I'll think of or if I hear a quote, you know, I'll send her that quote and just be like something to think about as he go there. And then maybe like on her 13th birthday or 16th or when she goes to college or something, I don't even know when we're going to tell her um, to start reading this stuff. But when she gets older, I think she'll find it cool um, to just kind of have that uh, ability to kind of reflect back on, um, you know, I probably don't write as much as I should. I definitely don't write yeah. as much now than I did in the beginning because you, <laughs> you know, kind of get used to it and you get busy and then you have another kid and right. now we have another dog and, and all that other stuff. But I, I did, somebody had recommended that to me. So I, I passed that on to other new parents um start an email account and just shoot emails and they don't have to be long they don't have to be brilliant pro pros it can just be right. like you know you know it, it, random tuesday when she's six months old um you know she rolled over and you know you thought that was really cute or you know something like that um just something to kind of uh, categorize the memories by see that mitch you got competition for father of the year that is what it's all about no shout out to tommy uh shout out to mrs beer uh, as well, and congrats again to Mr. Robson. I think that's a great place 
to leave it. So I want to thank you all for listening into this edition of Orange and Blue Bloods, a, a New York Knicks podcast and Odyssey WFN and original. It's a podcast you can get wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit that auto-download feature on your streaming service to get these episodes every time you drop. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube as well. You can find our full episodes and uh, segments from our episodes on the YouTube channel, the WFN YouTube channel, where you'll find all that stuff. Um, Tommy, let people know they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter when I'm not trying to wrangle uh, two kids around. <laughs> you can, I, I'm only wrangling a dog over here, but when I'm, <laughs> when I'm not doing that, you can find me uh, EJ underscore Stewart on Twitter, uh, actually EJ on Instagram, TikTok, and threads. Again, thank you guys again so much for checking us out. For Tommy, I'm EJ. Thank you guys.